Welcome back to Kings of Columbus on the podcast. This is a special beefs and beliefs edition. Went out to our tech subscribers. Hey, I'm Doug Lamaris, by the way, and said, like, what do you believe in about Ohio State football and life? It's really mostly about Ohio State football. And what are you beefing? Like, what are your I used to do an old rants pod right at my previous stop. So this is a version of that. But I want to include the compliments. It could be called compliments and complaints. But there's two other things we're going to do before we get to the beefs and beliefs. This is a lot based off what happened on Saturday night. But there's two things I want to talk about first. One is our post-game reaction initially right after that. There's a longtime loyal listener who ripped us, ripped us for the post-game show. So I did ask people, what do you think? And I learned something. I did. I am 50. I'm a man. Am I? I'm 50, but I'm still capable of learning. And I learned something from the post game that we'll talk about. But guess what we're going to talk about first? Football. I've been working on this since the game ended. The game-winning drives for Ohio State football since the Trestle era. I went through all the one-score games, and I found the moments where Ohio State took over, either down or tied on offense late in the fourth quarter. I didn't set specific parameters, but I think you kind of know a game-winning drive when you see it. So I'm trying to put in context where this Kyle McCord, Ohio State, game-winning drive against Notre Dame fits. And in so- some information I gathered along the way with that was there have just been not that many one-score games in the Ryan Day era. There were many more in the Urban Meyer and Jim Tressel eras. They played 20 to 25% of their games were one-score games. Under Ryan Day, this is only the sixth one-score game For Ryan Day, it's like 10% of his games. So there are sort of like fewer opportunities for this, but this definitely was, well, actually, it's not the first time it happened because C.J. Stroud had one against Utah. Okay, so this was the second time in the Ryan Day era that that an offense got the ball late and marched down and won the game. Okay, so I'm going to give you the examples, and I'm we're going to try to eventually, I think, put in context where this Kyle McCord Ohio State game-winning drive ranks in the modern era of Ohio State football, which which I think to a lot of us, it's, you start with Jim Trestle, right? So there were 19 examples since Jim Trestle where the offense took over late and marched down the field And they were either down or tied. And then by scoring a touchdown or a field goal, they either won the game, went ahead very late, or forced overtime, and then won in overtime. Okay? And by special request, I did go back and and kind of start things. I have so many notes. And kind of start things with the Rose Bowl at the end of the 96 season uh, when Joe Germain marched Ohio State down. And won that Rose Bowl. Ohio State against Arizona State in that game. The, the Buckeyes took over with a minute 40 left on their own 35-yard line. They were trailing 17-14. They go 12 plays, 65 yards, a minute 21. And they score the game-winning touchdown with 19 seconds left. And they win 2017. So that's uh, a good example of that. So that's like a springboard to this discussion then. Because there wasn't. There were four other drives in the Cooper era since that Rose Bowl game where the offense did march down and, you know, in in the parameters that I already described, but not quite as memorable because there's a particular, there are three standards I applied then to then, but hey, so Joe Germain and that Rose Bowl, right? They fit it, right? Yeah, like, like, like celebrate that, right? Like having a good memory right now. Hey, Doug brought up the Rose Bowl, right? I Doug doesn't usually bring up games that he didn't cover himself because he's an egomaniac who doesn't want to do research. I wasn't there. You were. Congratulations. That's a great win. Coop. Congrats. Congrats to Coop. Trestler. 19 examples. We're going to run through them quick and then I'm give you, I'll give you the McCord drive to me fits a very special thing that makes it the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eighth game-winning drive since the Trestle era began to fit all the parameters. And these are the big eight. But we'll cover all 19 first very quickly. Okay? You could remember a little bit with me. 2002, Cincinnati. 
The offense takes over with uh, 8-11 left on the uh, Cincinnati 47. They're trailing 19-17. They uh, score a go-ahead touchdown. They end up winning that game 23-19. Uh, 0-2 Purdue. You, 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 you know what I'm talking about with 0-2 Purdue. Uh, 0-2 Michigan. You know what? I'm not going to read all 19. Because the whole point is there are eight that rise above. I'm on a four-hour podcast. I'll send it to the texters. I'm going to send all 19 to the texters. If you want to be a tech subscriber, the, the beefs and beliefs come from the tech subscribers. Your beefs, your beliefs. If you want to be part of that, 614-662-4509. 614-662-4509. You can sign up for free for two weeks and see what you think. I'll tell you, like 95% of the people who try it stay. We have that information. And if, if you tried it and you didn't stay, totally respect it. Might not be for you. A little too much Doug in your life. But we'd love to have you try because then you can send a beef, a beef or a belief. These are the big eight. I'm going to read the specifics of the big eight game-winning drives in modern Ohio State history. Most of them have names. And we're going to have to name, I guess. Is this just the Lou Holtz game? Is there a better name for this? Because guess what number one is? It's Holy Buckeye. 2002 Purdue. Ohio State takes over. At the 46, at the Purdue 46-yard line, with 3-10 left, trailing 6-3. to It's a four-play, 46-yard drive, because guess what? It's a fourth-down chuck, baby. Takes a minute 34. There is sort of like a final defensive stand because the Michael Jenkins catch occurs with 136 left. So they take over with 3-10, four plays, 46, a minute 34, the go-ahead score is scored with 136 left. That's one that qualifies. That's Craig Krenzel leading that. 2003 Penn State. Ohio State is trailing 2014. Takes over with 555 on their 28-yard line. 11 plays, 72 yards, 420 for the drive. Go-ahead score with 135 on the clock to go up 21-20. That's Scott McMullen leading that drive. Shout out to Scott McMullen. Now... We're getting into stuff I actually saw with my own eyes. But you guys lived all this stuff. 2005, Michigan. It's the helicopter catch. It's the Anthony Gonzalez, Troy Smith helicopter catch. Ohio State is down 21-19. The Buckeyes take over with 418 to play on their own 12. My gosh, Troy. 12 plays, 88, 88, 12 plays, 12 plays, 88 yards, 3 minutes, 54 seconds, the Antonio Pittman game-winning score occurs with 24 seconds left. They go up, they win 25-21. And by the way, these are the parameters that I applied for the Big 8, okay? The play that, that puts you ahead has to be a touchdown, not a field goal. Of those 19 game-winning drives that I'm referencing, four of them were field goals. So those are knocked out because the touchdown is just a little bit more exciting. The game, the go-ahead or game-winning score has to come with two minutes to play or fewer. So there are some of these that happened. The go-ahead score came with three minutes left, with five minutes left. And then maybe there was a defensive stand at the end associated with it. But I still think it counts in the 19 because that quarterback, that offense, that coach, you went on the field and said, hey, if we don't score here, we're done. We have to score in the fourth quarter. So that, that I think, still has incredible value, but it's not quite as high on the excitement meter if you score with 4-11 left and the defense has to come back on the field. So we're, we're getting specific here. So this is touchdown in the final two minutes, and the scenario for me has to be you're losing and then you win because of this touchdown. So if you are tied when you take over, not as much pressure, okay? And that's some of those in the 19 where Ohio State took over tied. or if your score only ties the game and then forces overtime, I think from a fan perspective, it's not quite as exciting because it's not the do or die, that's it, it's over, that celebrate. So, for instance, the 2012 Purdue game, amazing. Kenny Guyton, a miracle drive. Miracle drive, two-point conversion because they're down eight to tie, and then they score in overtime. But that's not doesn't make the eight because... When they scored at the end of regulation, that only forced overtime. So these eight, touchdown, happens in the last two minutes, you're down and you go ahead, and then you win the game. 2002 Purdue, Holy Buckeye, 2003 Penn State, 2005 Michigan, remember the Anthony Gonzalez catch. Next one's 2006, no, 2008 Wisconsin. 
This is Terrell Pryor. Ohio State takes over with 6.26 left on their own 20. They go 12 plays, 80 yards, 5 minutes and 18 seconds on the drive. They're down 17-13 when they take over. They score. Remember, it's a little Terrell Pryor, Beanie Wells, like option play on the edge at Wisconsin. By the way, on the road, elevates this a little bit too. At Wisconsin, game-winning touchdown, minute eight left. They win 2017. That's kind of like a coming out party for Terrell Pryor. I think everybody remembers that one. Next one is also Terrell Pryor. This is an Iowa game. 6.05 left. Ohio State takes over on its own 24. Terrell Pryor, man, kind of got it done late. 12 plays, 70, uh, 12 plays, 76 yards, 4 minutes and 18 seconds. Ohio State down 17-13 again, same score. They score with 147 left, and they win 2017. So that's the second one for TP, okay? That's number five. 02 Purdue, 03 Penn State, 05 Michigan, 08 Wisconsin, 2010 Iowa. Now we go to 2011 Wisconsin. You know what this is. Did we ever name this? I mean, you. as I'm saying it, the play's in your head. I guarantee it. The play just popped in your head. I said 2011 Wisconsin, and you see ball in the air. You see Braxton Miller scrambling to his right, ball in the air. And guess what you're seeing right now? You're seeing Devin Smith in the end zone. Ohio State takes over with 110 left on their own 48. Four plays, 52 yards, 50 seconds. They're down 29-26. The game-winning touchdown bomb from Braxton to Devin Smith. It scores with 20 seconds left, and Ohio State wins. This is up there. This is up there. Now, it was kind of a lost season, so like the, the stakes weren't what this Notre Dame game was. But have we named that? The Braxton Miracle? I don't know. Have we named that? That's six. Seventh, 2017 Penn State. Getting it in your head? You know what it is. Marcus Ball. Ohio State takes over with 307 left on their own 42. Five plays, 58 yards, a minute 22. They're down 38-33 when they get the ball. The go-ahead score occurs with a minute 45 left. It's a touchdown pass from JT Barrett to Marcus Ball. Ohio State wins 39-38. So that's the first one that fits the parameters from JT. And now we're at Notre Dame. So that's it. That's eight. Kyle McCord and Ohio State, they take over with a minute 26 left. They're trailing 14-10 on their own 35, 15 plays, 15 plays, 15 plays, 65 yards, a minute 25, game-winning score with one second left. They win it 17-14. So those are the eight. Holy Buckeye, the Scott McMullen Penn State game, the helicopter catch with Troy Smith and Anthony Gonzalez, Troy Terrell Pryor and Beanie Wells beaten Wisconsin at Madison. Terrell Pryor beats Iowa, the Braxton Miller miracle pass to Devin Smith, the JT Barrett comeback in Ohio Stadium against Penn State, and Kyle McCord in Notre Dame. Eight. What do you think of that? It's pretty good. So of the 19, the 19 that I did, again, the broader context, three for Braxton Miller, three for JT Barrett, three for Craig Krenzel, two for Terrell Pryor, two for Dwayne Haskins, one each for Scott McMullen, Justin Zwick, Troy Smith, Kenny Guyton, C.J. Stroud, the Utah game. Now, that was a field goal to win it, so that's why it didn't it didn't make the eight. And Kyle McCord. Kyle McCord, you got time, brother. You can catch up. So that's special. Lock it in. And again, the Joe Germain Rose Bowl one would make it nine. So if you want, like, if you know, we'll start with Joe Germain in the Rose Bowl and then eight more since then. So we want to give credit to that great drive, too. And you win a Rose Bowl off of it. Okay, I, I've been working on it for like four days, going through the box scores. Again, if you guys ever want to go to OhioStateBuckeyes.com, and I think you click the history tab under football, they have all the box scores, all the season stats going back like more than 50 years. It's amazing. Mike Bassford, Jerry Emig, who put that together, I, I, it's such an incredible resource. I'm going through box scores, like the typed up box scores from the old days, right? I mean, if you at some point, offseason project, I'll back, go back and do it back to Woody and find how many, how many, how many, how many fit this category. For now, Kyle McCord is one of eight. When we come back on Kings of Columbus, we'll discuss why maybe the initial reaction about this very rare occurrence on our postgame show wasn't what it could have been. We'll do that next. Doug Lamarie's back here. We're getting ready to uh, get to your beefs and beliefs, but first, uh, someone needs to rip me. This comes from an old pal, Joey. And, uh, my initial reaction when Landis was like, hey, did you see this? Was like, that guy can cram it. But then, believe it or not, 
I underwent self-reflection, perhaps for the first time in my life. And I've decided something. Doug and Bill, I have listened to you since the bad podcast. That's the, the, pad, the what we named the podcast. What a great name for a podcast. Back when we started it uh, at Clum.com in 2015, it was the Bill R.E. Doug podcast. It's like, should we put the name of the team in the, name, in the headline of the uh, name of the podcast? No, let's just make a funny name. The bad podcast. I have listened to you since then. I have normally enjoyed your takes. Your post-game podcast was your worst podcast of all time. You gave zero credit to Ohio State winning the game. Despite the challenges, some self-inflicted wounds, they did that. You guys brought zero energy, zero enthusiasm. It was a pathetic podcast of just criticizing a team that just did that. I have tried listening and shut it off three different times. I can't get 20 minutes into it. What Ohio State fans want is to ride the high of winning that game and just hearing two guys in their basement say the win, what, what the win means and tells you nothing about the team. Um, but had they lost, it would have meant the season is over. You guys are trying too hard to be a national show that you've alienated your fan base. It was pathetic. So a little harsh, maybe a little, a little much, Joey, but I'm here for it. I asked the texters if we were too negative. Most people said, like, no, they, they didn't think they want, you know, they do, they do want the analysis. Nick said, I just want to say, I agree that the tone was a bit too negative. Should have just enjoyed the wonderful win. And we're not going to keep talking about ourselves too much, but there's a point I want to make here because um, you guys can help, you know, you consume the team you love through us in some part. If you're listening to that, if you're listening to this and, and we owe you something, right? This is Will. I don't think the podcast was too negative. I'd have begun by just like screaming for 15 seconds about beating Notre Dame, Lou Holtz, Kremlin, et cetera, and then go from there. So perhaps show a little bit more emotion at the jump. But besides, uh, besides that, I thought it was great. Um, so a lot of people said it's not too negative. Doug, I find it exhausting because I've never seen a fan base or media that complain about his wins as much as this one. That's John. That's kind of an overall uh, complaint that's going to be part of the beefs when we get to them. So. Here's my point. I would say in my career, there are three things that stand out that I wrote that really taught me a lesson. Two were at my first stop when I was young and out of college. And one was very early on here at the Cleveland Plain Dealer. And all three of them were when I tried to be glib and funny and wasn't funny and did it while sort of making something personal and talking about uh, someone's family in the sports world and trying to make a joke. And then the joke was inappropriate, but not only was it inappropriate, it was about someone's family. And I was like, you can't, you shouldn't do that. It's ridiculous. And so um, when I did it at Cleveland.com at the Cleveland Plan Dealer, I got in like a lot of trouble. Um, I, I made an offhanded remark about Charlie Weiss that was just incredibly uh, inappropriate. And it got on a Notre Dame message board and Notre Dame came after me, rightly so. Not the the university, but the fans. And I like wrote to Notre Dame and I said, I apologize to Charlie Weiss. And so like, I, I hope I've stopped doing that. I do go after uh, family members if you employ them. <laughs> if you don't employ them, like I've learned that lesson. So here's the lesson I've learned from the postgame show. We analyze the game on the postgame show. And I think that's appropriate. And on a 90 minute postgame show, of course, you're going to analyze the game. But there is a difference between analyzing the game and analyzing the win. And I don't think we analyze the win enough. And I'm going to take that lesson forward. Now, I will say it is a little different for us that Bill and I are used to being there at the games. And when you're at the games, you're bathed in the emotion. First of all, you're not doing the postgame show five minutes after it ends. You've done it after you've talked to people. You absorb their emotion. You've absorbed the Ryan Day post-game news conference. You've talked to players. You've felt it in the stadium. And when you're in the emotion, you can't ignore the emotion. We are in our basement. Now, to be fair, I'm in my guest room that is painted yellow because of uh, it was where my children slept when they were babies, which we'll get to later because people also hate the yellow wall. It's going to change. We're not absorbing it now. It's a choice we've made. But we have to acknowledge that and remember that. So here's what I've learned and what I vow. We will analyze the win before we analyze the game because it's not the same thing. Because for 60 minutes, did Ohio State do everything it wanted to do? Did it play perfectly? Did it play better than Notre Dame? No, no, maybe not. Did Ohio State win? Yeah. Is that what matters the most? Yeah. 
Is that what's exciting? Yeah. Was it one of the eight best game-winning drives in the last 23 years of Ohio State football? Yeah. Did we acknowledge that enough? No. So what we should have done, we got caught up in the Lou Holtz comment by Ryan Day right after because we're watching that on TV. What we should have done is gone through the entire last drive, play-by-play, and talked about all the good things that happened. Hey, they get lucky. Notre Dame drops a pick, but look at this play by Julian Fleming on fourth down. Let's analyze this throw by Kyle McCord because that's the win. And then the game is, hey, well, you know, maybe they could have had earlier fourth down calls that were better. Hey, maybe their offensive line needs to play better. Hey, maybe their defense got cool, that got tired in the second half. And we're always going to do that. And so we've had enough people say, hey, we like that about you guys. And I'm doing this. Joey's not the only person who expressed what he expressed. There's another person on Twitter who I respect a lot who follows us who was like, it was too negative. So I'm taking that to heart. And I just want to say that's the lesson. Analyze the win first, because that's what just happened. Then analyze the game, because it's not the same thing. So growth by me. From cram it to absorb it. Thanks, Joey. Love you, man. Thanks for calling us out. Sometimes hard truths, man. That's what we all need. All right. We got to beef it and belief it. We'll do that next on Kings of Columbus. All right, we're back. We're going to do beliefs first because we want to believe in stuff. You guys want to believe. You do believe. All right. These are, again, our tech subscribers. At the, they, uh, they signed up. They got a two-week free trial, and then they pay six bucks a month after that for all kinds of the little tidbits and information and recruiting news from Berm and plays of the week, breakdowns from Landis. We, we try to bring you value. We do our very, very best, and I think we do. And if you like the podcasts, I think you'd like trying the text. I'm not going to guarantee you would like keeping them. I think you would like trying it. 614, this is what you type in your phone. You send a text to this number. You can send anything, I think. 614-662-4509. You get back a link. You do have to put in your credit card number. You sign up for two weeks, but you don't get charged for the first two weeks. So if you want to quit, you just type stop. You just text that to the to like the number. You know, the, the, you get back and you sign up. Hey, you're getting these the podcast text, you just text to that S-T-O-P and you're out whenever. It's before you pay or after you pay. If you try it for a couple months and you're paying and you want to stop, you just type stop. Really easy to get out. And then if you're part of it, you can do things like this. Here's a here's a belief. So the beliefs are the, the compliments. I believe something. This is Jarrett. Kyle will be a Heisman finalist this year. He's on a very similar trajectory to CJ in 2021. That is pretty amazing to think about. And by the way, you guys see what C.J. Stroud's doing at the next level, right? You guys see it. What C.J., the brain, the work, the grind, the processing, the accuracy, the anticipation, what you saw at Ohio State is happening in the NFL right now. That's good for him. That's good for the Buckeyes. It's really good for the Texans. But where C.J. came from, from the Oregon loss, throwing a pick on the, on the last drive when he had a chance for a game-winning drive, right? It didn't, it didn't happen because he's young. Not a good Tulsa game. Little procedure on the soldier shoulder, sit out, miss the Akron game, and then you're a Heisman finalist? That is unbelievable. You know who, who finished second in the Heisman race last year? Max Duggan. You know what he wasn't at the start of the year for TCU? The starting quarterback. He didn't, he wasn't in a job competition. He lost it. Chandler Morris started for TCU last year, started the season. Got hurt. Max Duggan took over, led TCU to the national title game, and finished second in the Heisman. If he can do it, Kyle can do it. So, like, I don't, I don't think that's a crazy belief at all. I didn't pick it before the year at all because I thought if there's going to be a Heisman finalist from Ohio State, it's going to be Marv. But you see the way that teams are covering Marvin so far. If the receiver distribution between Emeka and Marv is kind of even, and it's not Marv, Marv, Marv far above, even though no one is doubting his talent or what he is as an NFL prospect. As Bill and I talked about on uh, Kings of the North on Tuesday, Roma Dunze from Washington is so far as having like the Marvin statistical individual individual impact year. Marvin's not having it yet. Doesn't mean he won't. But in, in terms of like who's your Heisman candidate, if there's a clear number one receiver, both eye test and statistically, then I think it's Marv, right? Unless it's a Mecca. Unless a Mecca winds up leading this team in receiving and he's the guy. But if it's split, right? Just like when it was in, in 21, it's Jackson and Garrett and Chris, and nobody knows how to award anything to those receivers. So what's the answer? CJ's the Heisman finalist. Not that he wasn't worthy, but you can't pick among the receivers. So 
if we're getting to that point, that helps the Kyle Heisman case as well. This is uh, a belief, Justin. My belief is that McCord is plenty good enough to lead this offense to great things. I thought he had to be 80% of CJ, and I think he may be better than 80% of CJ. He can make some very difficult throws, and he seemed to thrive under pressure. I don't, I think CJ is a good parameter for Kyle McCord. And I do think it doesn't mean you've got to be CJ. But as we watch the progression of Kyle McCord, I think what we watch from CJ 21 22 is valuable here. So again, what we have to be doing is talking about Kyle McCord in context of 2021 CJ Stroud. It does not make sense to talk about him in context of 2022 CJ Stroud when CJ had a full year of it. But like this, this could be, um, that could be really, really on point. Here's a belief from Russ. It was completely credible to me that we would lose the Notre Dame game going into the fourth quarter, but we pulled it out. I won't say we got lucky because I think it was a hard-nosed team versus a hard-nosed team, and we came out the victor. Over the past few days, what was a very meh assessment of the game because it was so close has evolved to a view of that was a tight game with a still relatively new quarterback, which we pulled out in the end. There will still be much growth to watch, but if, if if I was to plot the trend, I think it's upward, and that gives me confidence. I like that from Russ. I think that's a smart evolution. I think the more, listen, statistically, again, like down to down, Notre Dame was more successful. But digging in on they got it done, I do think opinions evolve. I do think opinions evolve. And so that, that belief, the evolving Russ belief, um, I like it. Here's some more evolution. Belief from Trevor. I believe the offense will continue to get better, will be elite by year's end, and can depend on the defense while figuring it out. That, I think, is a super important point by Trevor in his belief. That, like, that, that's a model here. Like, that's a really good way to win. Your defense is so good. You're an offense-first program, but your defense is so good right now that you can lean on your defense, win tight games like this. Listen, if the, if the defense doesn't stand up, they scored 17, man. People were picking scores in the 30s and 40s. They scored 17 and they won. Why? Because the defense stood up. If the defense is doing that, if this defense is still doing that for the Penn State game, right, when you think that Penn State defense is going to be a problem, but the Ohio State defense is just as much or more of a problem, for Drew Aller and Nick Singleton and Olu Fashanu and Mike Yurcich and everybody that makes Penn State go, Katron Allen. That's a great formula. And then let's say you get to Michigan and J.J. McCarthy and Blake Corman, Donovan Edwards, and that offensive line are hitting on all cylinders. And then you say, let's go score. Like the idea that, you, that this offense can evolve while the defense holds up their end of the bargain is awesome. Like, that's an awesome formula. So it's a really good belief. This is Ryan. And then this is about Ryan. Ryan Day seems as level-headed a coach as you can find in big-time football. Not a hothead or impulsive dude. He's also a strategic thinker about what his team needs and what he loves to call the art of coaching. I think that looking at this team and the season ahead, he felt like this team needed a rallying cry and a moment. Not just the watch this, which he said to Jerry Emig right before he went live on the postgame on the field, but you could tell from his demeanor that he was doing a bit. Not that it was insincere or that he isn't really fed up with hearing about this himself, but he's taking a page from Urban's psychology playbook to start building something for this team. And I love it. Ryan with a nice take on Ryan. I think... There's a couple things happening here. I like when Jim Harbaugh was suspended for the first three games of the year. This is a Michigan team that's made the playoff two consecutive years, beat Michigan, beat Ohio State two consecutive years, two straight years, Big Ten champs. Now they need to do more. How do you elevate your your desire for more while you're already on top? Right. Everyone says it's harder to stay than it is to get there. The three game suspension of Jim Harbaugh to start the year actually gave something Michigan to be mad about. And teams, good teams call them overdogs, they love to find things to be mad about. I think this was Ryan Day finding something to be mad about because 
they're chasing Michigan. They're chasing a national title, right? But what are they mad about? It's more like, hey, you didn't get it done. Like, can you be mad at Michigan? You're like, you're mad you didn't win. But who are you mad at as opposed to what are you mad about? So Michigan on top is mad at the world, is mad at the NCAA, is mad at the hypocrisy of suspending Jim Harbaugh over a hamburger, right? Doesn't matter what's true, what's not. It's It matters, can you make yourself mad at someone or something and motivate yourself through that? Okay. Ohio State's mad at someone or something now. They're mad at Lou Holtz. They're mad at anyone who questions their toughness. So do I think there's a toughness vortex that they could get sucked into? What I don't want to see is them trying to fight that battle with their play calling. But if they want to fight it in the media, if they want to fight it day to day in the locker room inside the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, the way they talk about games, the way they get they some their subs themselves, their selves, the way they get themselves fired up, great. Just don't come out and run it 40 times because you're trying to prove something. But talk it. Let's is this the opposite? Talk it, don't walk it. Talk the talk. How dare you? How dare you, Lou Holtz? How dare you, anyone who questions Ohio State's toughness? Talk it. But then when you get out there, just throw. Just throw. Just throw it. But I, I like the idea of trying to like see something there. I think, I think maybe we got a tech subscribers on to something. Belief from Sean. We are lucky to have Ryan Day, and the Buckeyes will always be in the mix as long as he's here. Um I think you guys know I very much believe in in the mix. I think there's not a que- I think there's not a question about Ryan Day in the mix. I think the questions about Ryan Day are over the top. The hard edge, the coaching in the moment that gets you over the top. But are they ever going to totally fall back, you know, with this offensive acumen, with this receiver and quarterback recruiting, the way college football is right now? Um I think they're probably not. So I think that's a good observation. This is a belief from uh, Drew, Ryan Day is currently the Georgia Ryan Day version, but is being spaced out across the season. So uh, I talked about it at our in our uh, preseason show out at uh, out at the live place, Land Grant Brewing, and I said Ryan Day was like, "This is Ryan Day 2.0." Like he's the, in the Taylor Swift song. Um, Taylor's not here right now; she's dead. Ryan Day, like you know, came out of the fire, a new person after the Michigan loss. And then what they did against Georgia, right? Michigan loss. We're going to do it different. We, I think we expected that Ryan day that let it rip Ryan day at Notre Dame. Now, like, did they let it rip on the field? You know, Bill pointed out on the, on the, the shows that we've done since then that, that Notre Dame, they, they did come out like Ohio State tried to come out and take shots early and Notre Dame took them away. So Notre Dame was taking the shots away, maybe more than Ryan day didn't want to try them. But let it rip Ryan Day to what our texture is saying here might emerge in multiple ways. So maybe they didn't do it with the game plan as much as people expected or wanted. But I don't know. Going after Lou Holtz is let it rip Ryan Day, right? So if you want let it rip Ryan Day, that's what you want in all forms. And now maybe it's not just about one game. It's about letting the let it rip Ryan Day emerge in multiple ways over the course of the season. I, uh, I like that. I like that idea. This is a little pat on the back. I'll allow it briefly. This is from Mike. Belief. Bill knows more ball than anyone else on the beat, and Doug is a perfect sports talk show host. I'm thrilled to have you guys back together, and I'm happy to fork over the six bucks a month for the texts. Just a little promo. It is a business. Thank you. Very kind. We appreciate it. More Ryan Day. Here's a belief. From Jared, given that it seems inevitable that the national media will not give Ohio State respect this year, I absolutely love Ryan Day leaning into the heel mentality. If you can't join them, beat them. This was like like immediately after the game. I think Bill called it this. People were calling it this like a wrestling shoot, like a wrestling promo. Did Ohio State turn heel? Hmm. Urban always wore white. Ryan Day wears black. Right. I, I do think like Urban Tress was so like in an old Western, Tress was like the mayor of the town. Right. Tress is making sure everybody has fresh water and that you tie up your horses correctly and maybe come on down and make sure you get to church on Sunday. Tress is the mayor. 
I think Urban was the sheriff. Urban popped his collar, walked down the street in the white star on the chest. Urban's like, this is my town and you're going to do it my way, right? So then what is Ryan Day? Is it possible that Ryan Day is the outlaw now? He grew a beard. He's tired. Like he lost to Michigan twice. He's tired of the toughness thing. And now he's got his posse and they're riding into town. And they're going to be the guys in black. And he's like, I got Kyle. I got Marv. I got Denzel. I got JT. I got Tommy. I got Cade. I got Donnie Jackson. And we're the bad guys. You guys ready for it? Now, I know some of you think there's, because it's a difference between the world turning into a bad guy. And I think a lot of Ohio State, Ohio State fans think that the world is against Ohio State. But do, are you allowing yourself to be a bad guy? Are you turning yourself into a bad guy? And maybe going after Lou Holtz is the beginning of the Ohio State heel turn. All right. We got to work. We got to. We got to work out that idea. Oh, did we just stumble on that? This is why I love the texters. Workshopping it together. The Ohio State heel turn on Kings of Columbus. Hey, quick break while I ponder that. We'll be right back. All right. It's it's Doug. I love when people start the, start the things up percolating. Here's our guy, Joseph in Atlanta. Longtime loyal. Doug, belief. Julian Fleming is wildly underappreciated, even among the podcast hosts who have suggested playing Carnell Tate over him more. Was that me and Bill? It might have been. Fleming is the best blocker in space on the team. He makes key catches when they're really needed. Rewatching Abuka's catch, he was the guy waving at the offense to sprint to the line, get set, and spike the ball to make sure they didn't waste time or get penalized. Just an all-around great player, the kind to every great team needs, but it seems like nobody recognizes the impact he's having because Marvin and Mecca are so incredible. Joseph in Atlanta, love it. Great point. Can I bring up an idea? Can we can we make a comparison here? The Evan Spencer of this team. I think we know how valuable Evan Spencer was to that 2014 Ohio State National Championship team. But when you think about the playmaking wide receivers on that team, you think Devin Smith and Michael Thomas. When you think about the guy who got it done, Evan Spencer throws the double block on the 85 yards through the heart of the South. Evan Spencer throws the touchdown pass to Michael Thomas on the trick play. Like Evan Sp Urban Meyer loved Urban Spencer. Evan Spencer. Loved him. It's not a bad thing to be. Great Buckeye. Evan Spencer, great Buckeye. Michael Thomas and Devin Smith, that's Marvin Emeka. Evan Spencer, that's Julian Fleming. You need guys like that. It's a great point by our guy, uh, Joe, in Atlanta. Belief from Alex. The Notre Dame win will give this team so much confidence. I also like having a bye after an emotional win like that. It can be tough to get up the following week. It reminds me of when Ohio State lost to Iowa after an emotional Penn State win. That's a double smart belief by Alex. I do believe there's confidence spread through the Woody this week. There has to be. Coaches were out recruiting early in the week, right? But... For those guys, for those young men to be sitting in this win is a great thing. And I think the point you bring up about a lot of people this week are talking about Notre Dame's going to Duke. We talked about it on the Look Ahead show on Kings of the North on Tuesday. Notre Dame going to Duke. College game day is going to be there. Duke's got some real dudes. They have an NFL left tackle. They have an NFL quarterback. That could be a problem for Notre Dame. And everybody's saying, don't lose to Ohio, to Ohio State twice. But there's a version of that. That if Ohio State was playing Maryland this week, could there be an emotional, right? That like, because Mar Maryland's up next, like that's the exact kind of team, kind of like that Iowa team, like the exact kind of team. But Ohio State's better. But a drained Ohio State against a team that's up for them, I actually agree with the idea that yes, they got confidence. And yes, this is a great time for uh, a bye week. This is uh, a belief from Matt and Huber Heights. I have a beef. Oh, wait, no. This is a beef and a belief. Yeah, he's complaining about standards. We'll use it right now. I have a beef with the outrageous standards that are, surround this program. I honestly do not know why anyone would want to be the head coach here at Ohio State anymore. Ryan Day is an absolute is in a no-win situation. Perfect example, the false narrative that he that has surrounded this team for the better part of two years that has been that they were a soft team and a soft pro program under Coach Day, which he had to listen to 
and now Lou Holtz jumps into that. Um, so anyway, like he's mad. If it had been Urban Meyer who said these things about the media and Lou Holtz, he'd have been the greatest thing since Chick Harley. Anyway, thanks for listening. So Matt is, that's actually a beef. I put it in the wrong thing. We hired a producer. How exciting is that? We're coming. We're coming along. We're getting there. So excited. We'll, we'll have more news on that later. But but we're, we're adding here at the podcast because we're building towards something. We're building toward Kings of the North, right? And uh, by the way, I was on with Ralph Russo on the Associated Press College Football Podcast this week. If you listen to that, I'm on with Ralph talking about the Ohio State toughness conversation, talking about some other things. And I also have landed on this that I'm going to unveil here. I, for the rest of the year, until proven otherwise, will be for referring to the SEC as the meh CC because I think they're meh. So I'm also going to copyright that. But things are happening, and uh, that's okay to complain about that because you're not the only one who's doing it. Uh, let's see. This is a belief the longer Ohio State focuses on physical toughness as a team instead of taking advantage of their excess of skill, the less likely we are to beat the likes of Penn State, Michigan, and Georgia. That's Josh. Uh, you're singing my song, Josh, right? So, again, it's it's sort of what I said. I think you can use it as motivation. Uh, I just would not use it as play-calling advice. Here's a belief. We listen to podcasts daily, check recruiting rankings, have group texts that seemingly never stop. But in reality, we get 12 of these games a year, 12 games guaranteed that we get to watch Ohio State play football. I have tried to savor them over the last year and four games. And honestly, it's been fantastic so far. To me, the program expectations yearly are beat Michigan, win the Big Ten, make the playoff. But at the same time, there needs to be more appreciation for the experience and bringing back some joy to it. I think Ryan Day did that a bit for many with his passion. Never use your, lose your passion. Buckeye Nation, that's Lloyd. He wants us to embrace the joy. Um, which makes me why it's, it makes me a little bit sad if for anyone who did view that I was being too negative post game because I've been on the embrace the joy mission for a year. I want you guys to enjoy your team. I think that's super valuable and super important. And so uh, if I'm failing in that regard, I don't want to fail there. So it matters. This is our guy Campbell. I believe this is his belief. I believe in Denzel Burke and Sonny Styles leading this Ohio State secondary to win over Michigan and a Big Ten title. I have concerns about the defensive line getting home, and I think the run defense may have some holes, but I think this team can and will beat Michigan in a similar way to how they beat Notre Dame, at least defensively. So, and, and his main point is, allow the dinks and dunks, don't get beat over the top. But I like that idea of the belief in the secondary, and it pairs with this from Eric. Um, oh, his... Oh, his belief is Ohio State's defensive secondary will be the deciding factor in the win over Michigan this year. His beef is how is cereal not considered a soup? Because a soup don't like you don't combine two things to make the soup in front of you. You cook a soup; it's already together. If the if the if the cereal came with the milk already in the cereal box, I would enter. If you could get a can of cereal, and when you you crack the can of cereal and there's cereal and milk in it and you pour it out together, then you can argue it's a soup. The fact you must combine it yourself means it's not a soup. And Eric, I bet you just want to bet with your friends that you can make Doug talk about that for 20 seconds. I like the belief in the secondary, which was my number one thing before the season started, but I like the belief in the secondary, particularly tied to Michigan because JJ, I think, has looked really good. JJ McCarthy has looked good. So the idea that like, hey, stop the Michigan run, which is maybe where you were going into the Ohio State-Michigan game last year, right? They couldn't stop the run in 21, and then they got beat by the pass in 22. I don't think it's all about the run with Michigan anymore. They're a much more balanced offense. So the idea that, hey, they're not going to be get, get beat deep. They're going to force JJ to hit multiple little things in front of them. JJ's really ripping throws middle of the field. Those intermediate routes, take those away or make those difficult. A belief in the Ohio State secondary tied to the Michigan game, I'm here for. Belief, we're winning the Natty this year. That's my guy, Ian. It seems like the only Ohio State teams that win Natties are the ones that you wouldn't think would be capable of pulling that off, and we're winning it this year. So as we've always said, 14 fell a year early, right? If you were planning it out, you would have picked the third year of that 2013 recruiting class, Ezekiel Elliott, Joey Bosa, et cetera. They won it in their second year which told me stop planning national title years at Ohio State. They're, they can win it any year. They're never building to anything. It's always right in front of them.
And so you would have thought, hey, like year two of C.J. Stroud last year, that's the year. C.J. Stroud with Jackson Smith and Jigba, right? Let's do this. Maybe you would have thought, hey, all the receivers in 21, even though the quarterback's new. It's not about building. It's about seizing the moment every single year. And so, hey, it's a new quarterback, but it could be staring us right in the face. And the other thing is they have built to it in some regard because of everybody that came back on this defense, right? This defense kind of did build to this year. JT, Jack, Mike Hall, Denzel Burke, all those third-year guys. And then you add Tommy Eichenberg and and uh, Steel Chambers sticking around. You add an influx of Davison and McNosin, an influx of Sonny Styles, but you really build it on those third-year guys. So I do think the defense actually did build to this year. The offense didn't, but it doesn't matter. Well, Marv's a third-year guy and a Mexican third-year guy. Actually, back on Buckeye Talk when I was on there, like two years ago, we did pods about, will the 2023 Ohio State team be the greatest college football team ever? That's when we thought Quinn Ewers was still going to be at Ohio State, that this would have been year three Quinn Ewers. And it's not to take away from Kyle McCord. Um, but the whole then, we even talked about it two years ago, was like, who's the left tackle going to be? And it turns out they never solved that. But when you built... There actually is a lot that does build to this year three of this recruiting class, right? The 2021 recruiting class, year three of that, you you did see this coming. But the point is, it doesn't matter what you see coming because at a place like Ohio State, sometimes a natty jumps up and slaps you in the face when you least expect it. When we come back, beefs on Kings of Columbus. We're back with beefs and beliefs. And if you're watching on the YouTube show, I didn't change the card underneath. Berm's going to kill me. If you're listening on the podcast, it's all good because it's just words. But Berm, who is uh, extraordinary at, at getting all these overlays for us, um, you know, makes them and says, here they are and puts them in a row. And all I have to do literally is hit one button. One button. And I didn't hit it. So I did the whole beginning of Beefs and Beliefs under the wrong headline. I'm sorry, Berm. We'll get there. Beefs. I think the talking heads out there have been too quick to say Ohio State won, but this is from Anthony. Does Ohio State have flaws? Yes. Did Ohio State do what it needs to do? Yes. Doug has talked about enjoying football, enjoy the season. It can't all be doom and gloom. I'm enjoying the heck out of this win. It is absolutely one of the most memorable in my fandom. Do we have to play Michigan or Penn State tomorrow? No. There's time to grow and gel as a team. We've seen it before, and the games have to matter. So these are good, like you're beefing. You're actually believing by beefing against the people who don't believe your belief. This is a beef from Adam. Ohio State fans who expect perfection. Beefing with them. A win is a win. 63-7 and 17-14 are both wins. Take it and move on. Style points don't matter if you're undefeated when you're Ohio State. You'll get to the playoff. Um, so they do matter Like if you're not undefeated. so, But st- the point I agree with for sure is style points don't matter in even games, which is Ryan Day's whole point. Style points do, like, in a world where there's still only four teams getting in the playoff, if you're not undefeated and you can't guarantee yourself that you're undefeated uh, with this schedule, you just can't. It's too tough of a schedule. So then if you're not, then the style points matter. But, like, the Notre Dame win is going to stand up. On the road, that win's going to stand up, right? So, that, like, that win, and the committee's not going to say, well, it should have been by two scores, not one. They're not going to say that. They're not. I promise that. This is what uh, was labeled by Andrew a beefy belief. Ryan Day is a top five coach in college football, and everybody calling for him to be fired needs to stop. If Ryan Day were fired, then that would make Ohio State the Northern Florida or Texas. And I believe we are better than that as a university and a football program. So that idea, we've talked about that in the preseason. As on Kings of the North, we try to compare North and South a lot. It's like, hey, what makes the South cool? The South is cool because we have unrealistic expectations and we fire people when they don't meet them. And that means we care. Up here in the North, we don't think that's better. We don't think that's a better way of doing business. And I think you can look at Florida since Urban Meyer, and I think you can look at Texas since Mac Brown, and you can see the results of that, right? When you are that quick, when you create unrealistic standards and are that quick when you don't meet them, um, that's really rough. This is a beef from Mark that the season is already one third over. So like, right? People love football, man. I don't know what to tell you. So the, the thing is, is, it's a really nice schedule because 
there's sort of like this first third includes Notre Dame. Then we get to like the middle third and, and Penn State's in there. Then we get to the end third and we know it's all about Michigan. But then there's like, actually it's four parts, right? It's like break up the 12 game regular season into three parts, but then the postseason is a fourth part. So Big Ten championship game, if they make it, and then bowl season or playoff season, like that really is a fourth part. And by the way, if you miss football, you're going to love the 12 game playoff. They're going to play three or four games. <laughs> They're going to play three or four games, do or die games against the best of the best every year. How awesome. I feel bad for ever being against a 12-team playoff because it's going to be so great. Here's a beef. Beef, I'm tired of seeing my Twitter timeline every Sunday flooded with retweets of former Buckeyes making routine plays in the NFL. It's so annoying. And it makes our fan base seem so insecure. Example, Chris Olave makes a touchdown catch for the Saints. Buckeye Nation reacts like it was Santonio Holmes' touchdown grab in the Super Bowl. In reality, he's a starting NFL receiver and should make touchdown catches. That's from Eric. So I, I don't I don't disagree with that. Um, one of the things is that like the Ohio State like team account is going to do that. But we also, yeah, they're good. It's like Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave are good. Yeah, I know. Like Joey Bose is good. Nick Bose is good. Like that, they're supposed to be good. So I, I get what you're saying. Um, and we don't have to go like above and beyond because it's like, of course, they are they are that. We know that. But the team account's gonna go crazy. This is Roy with the belief. No, it's a beef. He believes that Kyle McCord's gonna be a first round pick in 25, but I I'm here for his beef. This defense will be exponentially better if Hero Canoe gets more snapped with my call. Tyleek Williams has been a star, but we need more beef and we need to sprinkle Canoe in there. So really, as we've talked about, they're kind of only playing three tackles right now. Ty Hamilton, Mike Hall, and Tyleek Williams. So who's the fourth, and then how does he get sprinkled in? A lot of talk in the preseason about Taiwan Malone that doesn't seem like it's come to fruition in a meaningful way yet. Um, Jada McKenzie, right, maybe a little bit in there, but it might be Hero. So, like, I, I do think there's they probably need to get to a little bit more of that. This is Daniel with the kind of combined beef and the belief that's interesting. The beef is Larry Johnson not subbing the defensive ends that were getting run over the entire second half. As Bill and I talked about uh, on our the podcast daily on Monday morning, JT, Tui, Marlowe, and Jack Sawyer played every snap, which was really unusual. No Caden Curry, no Kenyatta Jackson. But the belief is those same defensive ends, mainly JT, stepped up on the last drive and helped us win, having already played every snap to that point. So it's the dichotomy of, man, I did think they looked tired, but then at the end, on the last drive, when JT swats down that screen pass, you've got to have JT on the field there. So I do think it's it's tough. I think you want JT and Jack and your best guys on the field and do or die, but can you sub right before do or die? Can you sub in the third quarter and early in the fourth? I, I do think they're still working that out. This is one more about uh, JT and Jack. This is a belief. Oh, it's a belief. It's a beef. I forgot we're in the beats. We did the beliefs first, Doug. That's why I need a producer. My beef is with people dogging Jack and JT for that game. For playing against two of the best tackles in the country, I thought they held their own. And JT made the biggest play in the moment when he needed to. He didn't win every snap or maybe the majority, but he won the snap that gave Ohio State a shot to win it. He might not have last year, and that shows growth. That matters. That's from Eric. That's a good beef. It's a good beef. Don't be down on those guys. Um... This is someone complaining about how I talk. Here's my only complaint. Please throw in an Alabama from time to time instead of just calling them Bama every time. This is from Randy. I followed you over here because you're my favorite podcaster covering Ohio State, but it bothers me and I can't stop hearing it. I respect it. I will attempt to call Alabama uh, Alabama and not just Bama. I, it's from like on Twitter when you're and on text when you're trying to save characters. Like taking off the ALA is very helpful, but it's just, a, it's two syllables. Allah, Allah. We have time for Allah. Maybe the producer, when he gets here, can like just cut out the Allah and uh, put it in front of the Bama when I forget to say it. Beef from Ev. Doug's yellow hospital wall background needs to go. Spend some production money on a new setup. I'm happy to chip in my old Steve Belisari jersey and John Cooper's How to Beat Michigan playbook. Because I didn't realize there was a, I just thought it was a complaint. I didn't know there was a joke at the end of it. We're going to. I'm spending more time than I should thinking about the color scheme for Kings of the North. And should I have a full night costume in the office where we're going to be recording that? But it, not yet. So I know it's yellow. I'm sorry. Babies were here. If you're listening on the podcast, try the YouTube just like for a minute. 
so you can see it is an annoying it's not maize that's the one thing it's not maize it's like it's like baby food yellow so it's gonna look cool it's gonna look cool we're gonna paint a logo on my wall it's just not yet soft launch i'm sorry uh recruiting beef that is valid Beef offensive line recruiting is really starting to get frustrating, especially with the talent deficiency on this current roster. That's from TF. We'll do like a deep dive recruiting show. I mean, Berm does them all the time. I would like to do one where I'm like peppering Berm with questions because we definitely, it's like, I'm not a recruiting expert, but I like recruiting strategy and I like asking questions I don't need to know the answer to, which applies not just to recruiting, but to life, which is why I'm married and which is why I have Landis on Kings of Columbus. He's my pod wife. But Berm can be my recruiting wife. So like I need someone that's like, hey, what's like, I'm like this. Hey, what's up with that? And then I don't need to know the answer. So I want to talk to Berm about that. You got to go win a battle. You got to go win a national battle. So, or as Landis has said, just pick the right, maybe not super highly ranked, but the right Midwestern kids and develop them. So, um, but I still think that he go like Brandon Baker would have been nice. They need to go win a national battle. I think, I think Justin Fry needs to go do that. This is a beef. This is Ryan's beef with the older guys in the media that treat Notre Dame like they are still a top program when in reality they haven't won anything in 30 plus years. Don't bring up a couple playoff appearances because Michigan and Washington, Michigan State and Washington have the same. So actually, the thing about Notre Dame is in the modern playoff era since the 14 playoff, Notre Dame's made it twice. And that's better than anybody except the dominant playoff teams who are Georgia, Alabama, Oklahoma, Clemson, and Ohio State. So those are the five that have dominated the playoff. Notre Dame's made it twice. Everybody else has made it once. So actually, Notre Dame is better. Notre Dame is actually still, honestly, like the seventh best program in college football. Like they are. So they're not Newt Rockney, Notre Dame. But I do think you have to understand that, that consistently, they are better. They have been better consistently than Washington, Michigan State, Iowa. You know, like... They're kind of like tier three that if tier one has been like Bama, Georgia, Ohio State, right? Then tier two and Clemson, right? Then tier two is maybe like Oklahoma, you know, like like playoff people who haven't won a title. LSU's popped up in there, right? LSU, I guess, is. No, but LSU only has one playoff appearance in the modern playoff. They won it. But Notre Dame's been there twice. So, like, I, I get it. Like, don't act like Notre Dame is – don't act like – Notre Dame is in the top tier, but also I, I don't think people should act like Notre Dame's terrible because they're they're not. So I, I do think that matters. This is a beef. This is uh, Josh. My belief is in the tech service and how you guys answer questions and integrate that into the pods. That's the best. Thanks, Josh. You're my guy. My beef is not enough homework. Haha. <laughs> no, the beef. I, I like to give homework to the texters. My real beef is people who are still down on Ohio State's defense and Jim Knowles. I believe year two has been awesome. I know he does not like the bend, but don't break, but I will take what they are doing this year over what it has been. So I think that's right. I do think, I don't know that there's a lot of people who are down on the defense right now, but if you are, I think it's probably not right. This is a complaint about, uh, from Justin, it's a beef. I hate the Colorado story. I actually appreciate a lot about Deion Sanders. He has a very old school, Woody-ish style of love and discipline with his players. I don't think I was expecting that, but it's something I loved as a player and appreciate seeing from coaches of young men. My beef is with the non-college football fans invading my space and making this bigger than it is. Lance Leipold, Willie Fritz, Sonny Dykes, all um, completed ridiculous turnaround. There's nothing but celebrity culture invading the sport. So I love... Uh, it, he doesn't like the idea of people of like this celebrity culture invading the sport he loves. 25 to 30% of the national college football pods I consume are now dedicated to filling me in on Colorado. Um, as if I hadn't already heard from Good Morning America or 60 Minutes, it's absolutely insufferable. So again, this was my dispute with Dan Lanning. If you're mad at the coverage of Colorado and Deion Sanders, be mad with the coverage of Colorado and Deion Sanders. Don't be mad at Colorado and Deion Sanders. So that, that that's a distinction. So there, that's a beef about the coverage. And th now the NFL is about to get it because Taylor Swift is dating Travis Kelsey. So if you don't want like the casual celebrity culture people in your sport, then the NFL is in trouble. But I, I kind of get what you're saying. There are people who like the diehard stuff, right? But this is, uh, I just like do your diehard thing. I'm like, just 
we talk about Colorado like on the, the, the Kings of the North, like from a football standpoint, because I think they're interesting. And like they did have three good wins, not against necessarily fantastic opponents, but they they mattered. I thought their football mattered. And I thought the way Dion was going about it was interesting and could impact the football in the rest of the country. The celebrity stuff, I, I get why you're mad. Last two. This is a B from Steve. I continue to rant about the lousy TV coverage of football, both college and pro. The announcers continuously rattle on incessantly about stories the researchers have given them. They never tell you who's on the field. The camera between plays is often on close-ups of the coaches or players or on the sidelines of goofball, goofball fans in the stands. They get back to the field at the last second with no time to really see the formations or who is where. I also get annoyed by this when I'm trying to do rewatches. I wish they would just shut up and call the game more like radio. I also don't like that they overhype everything um, that's my old man rant from Steve. I appreciate it because I'm also an old man. This is Justin. All old media college football coverage. He's beefing about that. The TV crews all lack something. Gary Danielson and Brad Nestler are 72 and 67 respectively. Exit stage left, please. The NBC crews, including the Notre Dame crew, enough said. Chris Fowler is the fourth best guy on ESPN's roster and has the top seat. He's not the voice of a big game. Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt are the best of the lot, but Fox games take forever. Won't even talk about the conference owned network. That's the Big Ten Network. They are comically bad. How can this be? The NFL and NBA have great entertaining broadcasts, but college football is old and stale. No creativity and no chances um, that it's going to change other than maybe Pat McAfee. Thank goodness for podcasts, YouTube, Barstool, and other forms of coverage. So that's Justin, and I'll say this. Albert Breer, who is an Ohio State grad, who is an NFL reporter, who is a loyal, staunch, loves the Buckeyes, has been on my show before. Uh, tweeted something in the day that he thinks college football is about to become like the number two sport in America ahead of baseball and the NBA. I don't know about the NBA, but I do think the, the 12 team playoff college football is only going to grow ESPN. People were, were TV PR people were tweeting that last weekend between Colorado, Oregon and Ohio state, Notre Dame, and then everything else. Um, that was like the most watched college football weekend in some amount of time. And so if the idea is college football is growing and it's going to be behind only the NFL in terms of interest, maybe it all gets better. So, so I think there's going to be a focus on that. I think there's going to be a focus on quality of the way the games are brought to you. And I do think if you love college football, it's going to be a little bit, it's not going to be like your little Saturday thing anymore. It's going to be too big. But as it gets big, it should get better. So I don't think it's that celebrity culture will invade, but I think we all need to welcome more people to college football because as you nationalize it and as you make a clear path to a playoff, and we've talked about it before, I think December in college football is going to be like what March is in college basketball. I do think it's going to take over. And then it'll be like the end of the NFL season, and then the NFL will take over in January, but December is going to belong to college football in a way that we have never experienced. It's going to bring more people to the table. It's going to bring more expo exposure. It's going to bring more big, awesome games. And I think it should elevate everything, elevate writing, elevate stories, elevate podcasts, elevate TV shows, elevate YouTube and elevate the broadcast themselves. So we all should get better, but we all have to also realize we're going to open our arms and maybe welcome people who haven't been with us the whole time. And that's okay, because the playoff is going to be lit. Sometimes I lean into old man. My daughter had spirit week at high school for homecoming, and they have Adam Sandler Day, which is just dress in oversized clothes like a sloppy middle-aged guy. So she just went in my closet. And she like looked more like Adam Sandler than anybody in the high school. She just wore a big baggy t-shirt and basketball shorts. And then today was Oppenheimer or Barbie day, Barbenheimer. And she just like wore one of my old suits to be Oppenheimer. So it's like, hey, let's have ridiculous dress up day. And then my child just goes in my closet because apparently I dress like a ridiculous person. All right, that'll do it for beefs and beliefs. We appreciate you guys. Look, Berm, I'm changing the thing underneath. Uh, we, <laughs> I need a producer, but we hired one. Uh, so we're going to do lots of stuff this week. I have a Malcolm Jenkins interview planned that should come through. It's scheduled for later in the week. He just wrote a new book that they're releasing. So he's doing a little media tour. And I said, give me Malcolm. 
who you guys, if you've been with me, you know he's one of my favorite guys. So looking forward to that interview. No betting show this week because we are losing you money. We need to reevaluate, and there's no high State game. Um, we'll probably have a King to Columbus on the weekend where Landis and I, we ranked the best Ohio State players in the preseason. I think we'll re-rank that now after four weeks. And then there's going to be Snappy Jays coming. There's going to be more stuff from Berm. So again, just because the team is off, we are not off. Maybe a little lighter in the podcast feed than a typical game week, but still more than you can listen to and more than you can watch because we want to flood the zone with quality content. Quality first, but also quantity. So couldn't be more grateful to everybody who uh, has chosen to make the podcast Kings of Columbus and Kings of the North part of your college football fandom. Again, you can listen to the Associated Press College Football Podcast this week. I was on with Ralph Russo, and we'll catch you guys soon. Thanks. So we'll do this again. This was the first Beefs and Beliefs since the tech service started. That's the best way to get everybody involved. Again, if you want to be part of it, you can sign up for a free trial by sending a text to 614-662-4509. Thanks to everybody who was part of this. I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Kings of Columbus. <laughs>